welcome to the 50th episode of Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music. I'm your host, Melton McMainerberry, and big thanks to Debbie and the Darlins for playing us in this time. Also, I want to give a shout out to listener Caleb Wright for spreading the Nashville Anthems love to his co-workers at great risk to his professional reputation. Hey Caleb, you may want to run outside and take a look at the water tower right about now. I'm just saying... On Nashville Anthems, our mission is to unearth the secret to what exactly it is that makes 80s and 90s country music particularly work. By picking apart the songs played on satellite radio's 80s and 90s country music station one at a time. And today is going to be a lot of fun, because satellite radio has served up one of my absolute favorite songs, the late, great Joe Diffie's 1993 hit, John Deere Green. So, if you haven't already... Why don't you pause me now and give John Deere Green a close listen or two. And now, let's get into it. Let's start as we always do by giving credit where credit is due with major assists from Wikipedia and Billboard. Now, it wasn't unheard of for Joe Diffie to write his own material, but it wasn't typical and it isn't the case here. John Deere Green was penned by the legendary Dennis Lindy, a name we coincidentally encountered two episodes ago with Mark Chestnut's Bubba Shot the Jukebox. And we noted then how Dennis Lindy compositions tend to have something tongue-in-cheek about them. And I think we'll find John Deere Green is no exception, as we'll certainly discuss. So Joe Diffie released John Deere Green in November of 1993 as the third single from a big album for him called Honky Tonk Attitude. The previous two singles being the title track and one that was quite tongue-in-cheek in its time and now somehow hits a little too close to home since we lost Joe Diffie in 2020. And that'd be propping me up beside the jukebox. Now, Honky Tonk Attitude was Joe Diffie's third studio album, and he'd always made consistently good albums with consistently good singles. But arguably, Honky Tonk Attitude kind of took him to the next level. Its follow-up, by the way, was Third Rock from the Sun, of which we covered the title track previously on this podcast. I think we'll find some interesting things when we compare that single with John Deere Green. Okay, so chart-wise, John Deere Green peaked at number five on the Billboard Country Chart, Joe Diffie had a lot of singles peak at number five, actually, interestingly enough. But John Deere Green was held out of the top spots by... At number four, Boy Howdy, She'd Give Anything. I had forgotten all about that one. Number three was Clay Walker, Live Until I Die. Number two was a personal favorite Clint Black track, one called State of Mind. And number one, the week of February 5th, 1994... John Michael Montgomery beating all for one to the punch and not for the last time with, you guessed it, I swear. Okay, so finally, production credits for John Deere Green go to Bob Montgomery, no relation, and Johnny Slate. All right, so that's enough background. Let's get into the song. As I mentioned, John Deere Green happens to be one of my favorite songs, period. I've always loved it. So why is that? What exactly am I hearing in John Deere Green that makes this song great? And while similarly to Killing Time, it's actually a little hard to pin down, because to my ear, everything works about John Deere Green. I love this song. I love the energy. I love the humor. I think Joe Diffie's vocal is perfect. And I just never tire of hearing this song. So I think if we look hard enough, and if we have an idea what to look for, we see a couple of things showing through most clearly in this song. Let's start with the first one. It's the particular energy of John Deere Green. It's an energy I'm going to call assertive, even emphatic. So this song is built on this super heavy plowing type rhythm. You can really hear it in the bass guitar. It's kind of like this. 
hear it. It's pretty subtle, and it doesn't always happen, but often the bass is kind of digging into the chord roots that it's playing. So this song is in G major with, of course, blue notes built into the harmony, such that the note F natural is a key part of the sonic atmosphere of the song. And that's the note the bass digs into before getting up to the root of the chord, the G. Hear it? There's often an assist on this from the electric guitar. It's basically a motif in the rhythm section. And note the rhythm of this lick too, as well as something we haven't really talked about much before on Nashville Anthems. It's articulation. So the blue note is quick. It's an eighth note in an up-tempo song. It's almost a grace note, for those of you who know what that is, but importantly, it's not one. A grace note leads into a beat, but notice that these blue notes are, critically to the song's overall sound, right on it. So that means the root is slightly delayed, actually playing second fiddle rhythmically to the out-of-chord blue note. And not only that, but that note is heavily articulated. Now, articulation is a subtle music thing, but it would be possible for that note, even timed the same, to be played super light and feel more like skipping along, doing some light-on-its-feet dancing, like tap dancing or ballet. But that's not at all what's happening, right? Instead, that note is pushed down on. Instead of sounding like the song is lifting that note up out of the page, it just sounds like the note is being pushed in. It's a digging effect. But moreover, because the rhythm in the song overall is so steady and repetitive, it's more like plowing. And you're seeing the connection, right? This is no accident. From as clever a composer as Dennis Lindy, when he writes a song about a tractor, he writes a song that plows along rhythmically. You can hear the same thing in Kenny Chesney's song, She Thinks My Tractor's Sexy. Listen to the bass guitar as Chesney sings the verse, which, not coincidentally, starts with the word plowing. Plowing these fields in the hot summer sun over by the gate. So both these songs lean into their agricultural subject matter with a rhythm that's also full of energy and is fun to listen to. But notice, again, the particular energy is not light. It is a driving sort of energy, as we've seen before, but not in a race car and not on an airboat in the Everglades either, but rather more of a steady, grinding sort of energy. It's heavy on its feet in a working class sort of way that obviously fits the subject matter perfectly. You can actually hear something similar in our previous Joe Diffie selection, Third Rock from the Sun. It's right in your face, in the transition between the dark verses we talked about in that episode and the song's abruptly bright chorus. Get it over with. Cause and effect, chain of and you may remember from that episode how, at least for me, that contrast created some sonic whiplash in that song and not necessarily in a good way. It's interesting. I mean, John DeGreen is not terribly dissimilar from Third Rock from the Sun. There are a lot of similarities there. Obviously, Joe Diffie's voice, which is a highlight of both, the bluesy harmony, the kind of industrial production that I argued didn't work great in Third Rock from the Sun, or at least reminded me too much of what came after it, to my ear works perfectly in John Deere Green. 
with the very production of the recording mimicking the brute force industrial productivity of a churning tractor engine plowing row after row after row after row with unfeeling, untiring purpose. That, what I'm calling industrial production, by the way, was also a hallmark, as we noted, in that episode of Bubba Shot the Jukebox. So it's an effect that's no stranger to 90s country, early 90s country, and obviously no stranger to Dennis Lindy's songs. It's interesting how it can amplify some of the kind of tongue-in-cheek stuff that's going on in these songs, because a lot of times these songs use exaggeration in ways to highlight the humor. I think that's the case, as we talked about in Bubba Shot the Jukebox, and I think it's the case in John Deere Green, as we'll see in a moment. But let's, let's stick with this idea of assertive rhythm for now, because I also want to point out something that happens timing-wise in the chorus of John Deere Green. Because it's a good example of the assertive way that this song presents its subject matter. It's the way the song gets back into the title and back into the tonic chord at the end of the chorus. You ever notice the timing on this? That in John Deere Green line at the end is actually pretty abrupt. But it look good to Charlie. Two things going on there. In terms of timing, the chorus flows in pretty definite four-bar phrases. Here's the first. First bar. Second bar. Third bar. Fourth bar. All right, here's the second. First bar. That's the second bar. Third. And fourth. Now there, that's a nice even eight bars, right? Now, but let's keep going, right? First bar. Second bar. All right, third bar, and now, okay, here's where it gets interesting. You have these kind of extra sounding beats as Diffie holds out Charlene. And at that point, the nice four bar structure that the chorus had established is already lost. So then, how does the song get back on track? So the answer is, it just does. There's kind of no logic to the timing by the time it gets to it, but when the chorus is ready to resolve and end, it just resolves and ends. You can try kind of brute force counting it through in these four-bar patterns, but it really doesn't work. It makes the final green fall on the third bar of the last four-bar pattern if you do that, which is already out of time, but that's not really what's going on anyway. The truth is, the timing just breaks down and then reasserts itself when it's good and ready. And there's some similar assertion happening here harmonically. So at the beginning of the chorus, and actually at the beginning of both of those standard four-bar patterns that start the chorus, the chords are E minor, D, C. John Deere Green. John Deere Green. Billy Bob loves Charlene. Six, five. But when the chorus ends, that rhythmically abrupt in John Deere Green is similarly harmonically abrupt. Because instead of going John Deere Green, E minor D, C, it goes John Deere Green, E minor D, G, 6, 5, resolving to 1. John Deere Green. And there's lots of finality there, right? And if you will, it's unjustified, either rhythmically or harmonically. Who said you could book in the lyrics with a tonic chord and just call the chorus over like that? 
Well, the song never bothered to ask permission. It just did it. And that's the particular flavor of assertion that this song is all about. Now, that starts to get into the other thing that defines this song for me. So John Deere Green has a particular brand of rural cuteness that we should explore. I don't think I have to convince you that this song is rural, explicitly and unabashedly so, right? Farm kids, 80 acres, sweet corn and tomatoes, squinting at the water tower from the front yard, marrying your high school sweetheart, and staying in the same town, actually further outside of the same town to raise your kids. It's all there. And it's to a degree that it's not like this in-your-face flaunting of the superiority of country life over city life, a la bro country. It's not overbaked or combative like that. This song is much more content. And this is true contentment. This is a contentment that isn't self-conscious or defensive. There's nothing embarrassed about this song, right? There's a certain amount of attitude here, but it stops short of the overconfident, humorless swagger of bro country. These people live in the country, they're happy to be doing so, and that's all there is to it. It's so unpretentious. This couple is so unpretentious, and moreover, Billy Bob's central act of declaring his love for Charlene is so gloriously simple and unpretentious that it's endearing. How do you not pull for this guy who used what he had to communicate what he felt in a way that seemed natural to him? And the best thing about it, it looked good to Charlene. She loved it. How cute is this couple? But this is also where the song gets tongue-in-cheek. The narrator here somehow seems to know that this song isn't just about simple people, but about simple tons. People who don't know better, having lived in this insular little rural area all their lives. It's played for laughs, right? I mean, the whole thing about the big deal about Billy Bob's water tower painting being in green instead of the usual romantic red, it's all kind of beside the point. The real central issues are, one, that Billy Bob is clearly, truly in love with this woman, that two, he wants the world to know, the world being, for him, everyone with an eye shot at this water tower. And that three, he handles all that in the best way he knows how. So our Mayberry thing is back, right? Seems like this could be the same town that Bubba shot the jukebox in. Maybe Bubba and Billy Bob are brothers, as well as cousins. The song celebrates and even asserts simplicity. The simplicity of life in this rural area the simplicity of Billy Bob and Charlene's love for each other, and the very simplicity of being content with being simple. In a way, I hate to keep going back to it, but the contrast with bro country is so strong here that I think it's worth highlighting, as we did in, not coincidentally, our previous Dennis Lindy episode, Bubba Shot the Jukebox. Because to my ear, bro country does things that John Deere Green and Bubba Shot the Jukebox are all the better for not doing. Now, there's common DNA between John Deere Green and Bro Country, no doubt. And you'd be justified in drawing a line of influence between John Deere Green and a lot of the male-produced country music of the Audis. But when Bro Country exaggerates the backwoodsy nature of its rural roots, it does so in a joyless, humorless, unintentionally ironic way that John Deere Green is too clever for. Is John Deere Green exaggerated? Yes, it is. It's grounded in the cultural reality, believe me, I know that firsthand. But it's taking the Mayberry country bumpkin thing a little outside those bounds of grounded reality in a way that's fun and simply won't take itself seriously enough to try to over-assert itself in ways that are needlessly combative or just overly defensive. 
Bro Country does that sort of thing all the time, but this music never really even seems to consider that it might do such a thing. Why would it? When enjoying itself for what it is, it's just so much fun. And that's what I'm hearing in Joe Diffie's 1993 classic, John Deere Green. If you're hearing something different or the same, or you want to bring out some nuance that maybe I'm missing, I'd love to hear from you. Go ahead and reach out on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for Nashville Anthems, and there you'll find me. And thanks to those of you who have done that. But with that, we come to the time to unveil what song we'll be looking at on the next episode of Nashville Anthems. But this time, I'm not going to pull up Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station right now and see what's playing. I know. I know. Pick yourselves up off the floor, listener. It's going to be okay. Because it happens that our next episode will publish on Christmas Day 2023, and that coincidence was just too fun not to do something with. So, for the first time ever, we're going to do a song that I've just chosen on my own. We're going to do a classic 80s country Christmas song. Anybody want to guess where I'm going with this? I bet a few of you did. Coming at you from Fort Payne, Alabama, we're going to do the 1982 classic, Christmas in Dixie. I look forward to getting into that one with you in two weeks. In the meantime, don't forget to tell a friend about us. Thanks so much for listening. Bye now. I gotta go. I need some pain.